Hello. Hi. Welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed our uh, our first episode back. Our little episode. We're still going to be keeping to little episodes, but we're going to try and update more frequently in the future. So for now, bi-weekly, soon to come weekly. Yeah. Uh, I'm Rogue. And I'm Kitty. And this week, I'm going to be telling you the story of the acid bath murderer. Ooh. Now, is this tubby time or is this a... Uh... <laughs> if you want to spend some tubby time in this tub, go right ahead, honey. You ain't coming out, though. <laughs> it just sounds like a really good exfoliator. You're going to find out why it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the acid bath murderer before at all? It sounds familiar, but I feel like with all the random true crime podcasts and movies and all the other stuff that I've consumed, anything could sound familiar at this point. That is true. I actually don't know if I've ever heard this one before. Like, I feel like I've heard the name, but I don't know if I've actually heard the tale of the Asabath murderer. Okay. As I teased last time, I got this from a little puzzle book I got because I'm a weirdo and bought a puzzle book and um, I like doing puzzles. It has, like, word searches and uh, crosswords and cryptograms, and it's all just murder and true crime related, so I like it. That sounds like fun. I have one that's, um, it's just a code breaker, so it's just different styles of code puzzles. I like that idea. That sounds like a fun kind of book. I just got this one because I was just like, oh, this looks interesting, and I like doing cryptograms, but I can never find books of cryptograms, really. They're always just in other books. Yeah. So I found this one. I was like, oh, I'll do that. But anyway, okay. I uh, got to the one and I was just like, I'm going to pick a random one. And I picked the Asabath murderer. So we're going to cool. talk a little bit about him. So before this Englishman became known as a killer, he was born July 24th, 1909 in Stamford, Lincolnshire, England. Lincolnshire? 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 Lincolnshire. Yeah, we're going to go with that. Stamford, Lincolnshire, England. <laughs> but he was raised in a village of Outwood in West Riding of Yorkshire. He was born to the parents John Robert Hay and Emily Hudson Hay. Hudson would be her maiden name. Okay. Uh, they were two conservative Protestants of the Plymouth Brethren, and he was an only child. You probably wonder why I say this, but sometimes only child syndrome does have uh, some bad twists. So we're going to go into that later. See, this is why Evie needs a sibling. Or just make sure she doesn't throw psychopathic stuff. Yeah, siblings way easier. You want to go through that again? Have fun. (laughs) You're crazy. But um, his family life seemed to be on the good side, though he had claimed that his own childhood was bleak and lonely. He only had a few friends, and they were mainly pets and the neighborhood neighbor's dog who he helped care for. So he didn't really have many people he hung around with. So although his family was very religious and private, um, going as far as to build a large fence to keep out prying highs and social content, he did grow up attending classical music concerts, and he attended the Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield where he won a scholarship and was a choir boy. So when I looked up the school, the grammar school in Wakefield also was tied to a church out there. So choir boy, he was a church boy. Okay. So at school, he was bullied due to his odd sense of humor and was known for pulling strange pranks. Like he would pull out a stool from an elderly organist when she was about to go play, which to me, that is not a prank. That is just straight up bullying. 
Yeah, especially if she's an older lady. That's going to suck. Yeah, she's an old woman going to sit down. You're pulling the chair out from under her. Like, that. that's not funny. You could potentially hurt her. Yeah, if she breaks a hip, she's done for. Yeah, pranks should not physically damage someone permanently. Yeah, Accidents happen. I understand accidents happen with pranks. But if your prank is purposely trying to hurt someone, you're not pranking someone. You're hurting them. But that's, uh, that's my little uh, TED Talk. Okay, we're going on. <laughs> he was also beaten once for chasing a pig around its sty until it died of exhaustion. His parents would constantly remind him that the Lord was watching. And he was always um, he always had their high power and disproving figure over him to judge his actions. Meaning he was always reminded that God is watching. His father once told him that the blue blemish on his head was a result of his sinning in his youth. A.K.A. the bruise on his head. From his beatings. Oh. Was a result of his own actions. Not the actions of the person who caused the bruise. But it's his because he sinned. He deserved the bruise, basically. Sounds like some manipulation right there. Yeah, it's giving you a little bit of his family and how mm. they affected him. So, young John, as um, I'm going to call him because both him and his dad's name were John. But uh, at one point, he probably will get called other things. Once the father figures like out of the story a little bit more, he'll probably just be called John. But for now, okay. young John was known to be obsessed and um, terrified of developing any similar signs of the devil, meaning blemishes and bruises. He was told that his mother did not have any marks on her because she was an angel. Basically saying, like, she did what she was told so she didn't get beat. Oh, okay. So, cute toxic father. Mm. Also, cue toxic religious upbringing for having bad consequences on life. Okay, yeah. so. There was a time when he believed that he was invincible because of all of this. Because he realized the blemishes didn't always appear when he sinned. That he could lie or commit sinful acts and he didn't always get bruises. He felt he could get away with anything. Though he did say in his childhood he was plagued by a reoccurring religious nightmare described uh, he described these dreams as gothic night and nightmarish. Um, the trees would turn in the crucifixes, weeping blood, and then he would have to view it with caution. So his dream actually does come up later in his court case. He like brings up how he used to dream that. Um, let's see. There was a time went on as time went on, his poor behavior of manipulation and compulsive lying grew. But after finishing school, he went on to an apprenticeship as an engineer where he was fired because he added sugar to his bo boss's petrol or gas tank. Because they call it petrol over there, but we call it gas over here. Right? Makes sense. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, they have petrol stations. Yes. So uh, after he was fired, he held various jobs in insurance and advertising, but he was also fired from those jobs for stealing. All of that by the age of 21, where he went on to begin forging documents for cars. So used car kind of things. He would forge the documents to sell them. So most likely those cars were stolen. On June 6, 1934, John married 23-year-old Beatrice, known as Betty Hammer. Their marriage did not last long, though, because that same year of 1934, when Hay was arrested for the first time, uh, his wife divorced him while he was in jail. And Ooh. the daughter that they ha she ended up having, she placed for adoption. Okay. So he had a kid somewhere. 
I don't know whatever happened to the kid because I had no mention of the kid after that. Oh, jeez. So there's someone with the Asabath murderer DNA somewhere in this world. His very religious family had ostracized him at that point. He had spent 15 years in prison for the car fraud. In 1936, when he was released, so 15 months, a little bit over a year, so depending on July, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so he was released, like, probably beginning of 1936. Uh, He ended up moving to London, where he became a chauffeur for an arcade owner, William McSwan. Uh, Remember this name, because it does come up again. Where he helped maintain the machines, as well as drive him around. After he left his employment with McSwan, he created a new persona, William Cato Adamson. He used this persona to solicit multiple offices in London, Guildford, and Surrey, among other places where he would sell fraudulent stocks and shares. The scam ended, though, when someone noticed the letterhead that he used for um, in Guildford. He misspelt his name. Oh. So he missed the D in Adamson. He was given a four-year sentence for fraud, but different kind of fraud this time because it wasn't cars. This time it was stock and uh, money fraud. Gotcha. He spent the next several years in and out of jail for various fraud cases. And during this time in prison, he only came to realize the reason he kept getting caught for his crimes is because the victims were around to report him. So he looked into George Alexander Surrett, a French murderer who was known for disposing of the bodies using sulfuric acid. Hay began to experiment in his cells with the acid and field mice. How he got the acid, I have no clue. Did not find anything that would indicate how he got acid while in jail. Uh, in jail, I have no idea. But I know back then it was a lot easier to get a hold of stuff like that. Yeah, but no, he did this while he was in prison. He was like, playing experimentation science projects in his jail cell. Huh. But anyway, he learned it took 30 minutes to dissolve a mouse with uh, acid. Fun. So in 1943, Hay was released from jail, and he went on to become an accountant with an engineering firm. No clue how he kept getting these jobs anyway, because he didn't actually go to school for this crap. And I guess back then it was a lot easier to go around without a degree or any kind of schooling or knowledge in this field. And I'm guessing they had no background checks at this point. I don't what know when the they year? started doing background checks. Uh, 1943. Yeah, it was a lot easier to get away with um, either fudging Fraud. paperwork or no paperwork at all. I believe it. But anyway, well, you you still think his name or whatever. During this time when he was in the accounting firm, he ended up running to a past employer, William McSwan, at a Kensington pub where he was introduced to McSwan's parents, Donald and Amy. McSwan was working for them by collecting rent uh, for their London properties. Jealousy of McSwan, which I'm going to call him William. Jealousy of M- William's life fueled Hay, and he began uh, the killing period, which um, he would later be known as the Asabath murder, or Asabath killer for. So William McSwan went missing on September 6, 1944. Hay later confessed that he lured McSwan into a basement on Gloucester Road, where he hit him over the head with a lead pipe and put his body into a 40 imperial gallon, 180 liter or 48 US gallon drum of concentrated sulfuric acid. The body took two days to mostly dissolve McSwan's body. He then emptied the drum into a manhole. You still think it's exploring? I mean, yeah, the skin's probably pretty uh, clear. Of pretty blemishes. gone. <laughs> pretty gone. Pretty melted. He was mostly melted in two days. 
he doesn't have acne anymore. I don't know if he had acne to begin with. <laughs> anyway, at the time of McSwan's missing, of William's missing, Hay went to William's parents, Donald and Amy McSwan, and told them that their son had fled the country, hiding in Scotland to avoid military service. He somehow ended up living with the old McSwans and then took over their son's tasks by going around collecting the rent from the London properties. Uh, he kept up the story of the son's runaway by forging letters up until July of 1945. On July 2nd of 1945, he lured Amy and Donald to the same location, saying that their son was paying a surprise visit. In similar fashion, he killed the parents with a strike to the head and put their bodies into acid. He stole McSwan, the older McSwan's, pension and sold the parents' properties. All of that got him around 8,000 pounds, which when I calculated the conversion, I realized I did for modern days. So I don't know how accurate it is, but it came out to be like 10,200 US dollars. In today give money. Give or take. In today money. Okay. So, still a pretty chunky amount of money. I don't yeah. know. It, I don't know. Maybe it was for that time, but I don't know. That still doesn't seem a lot for properties. If you're selling properties, I would assume it'd be more, but maybe they just mm -hmm. weren't worth that much. But anyway, after he did that, he moved to the Onslow Court Hotel in Kensington. Hay not only was prone to lying and cheating people for money, but he was also known as a big gambler. In 1947, he was running short on cash and found a couple, Archibald and Rose Henderson. He went to them with interest of the house they were selling. Of course, this was a manipulation tactic. He was invited to the couple's flat by Rose to play piano for their housewarming party. While attending, Hay stole Archibald's revolver which he would begin using for his next crime. He rented a small workshop at 2 Leopold Road in Crawley, West Sussex, where he moved drums of acid from Gloucester Road to, uh, location to his new location. On February 12th of 1948, he brought Archibald to the workshop to show off an invention. When he arrived, he shot Archibald in the head with a stolen gun and then lured the wife over saying that the husband was sick. He also shot her. After disposing of the bodies and the drums of acid, he forged a letter with their signatures to sell all of their possessions for about another £8,000, so another $10,000. Uh, but he did keep their dog and car. Oh, that's nice of him. Uh, yeah, I don't know what he did with the dog, but he had the dog and the car. So then again in 1949, this time, he committed his last murder. At this time, he was calling himself an engineer and a wealthy woman named Olive Durand Deacon, a widow of solicitor John Durand Deacon, Deacon? Deacon. Deacon. Who also lived at the same hotel as Hay, uh, had the idea for artificial nails. He invited her to his workshop to go over the idea. On February 18th, 1949, Olive arrived at the workshop where Hay shot her with the Archibald shotgun. Not shotgun, Archibald gun. On February 18, 1949, Olive arrived at the workshop where Hay shot her with Archibald's gun. Ouch. He took her valuables, then shoved her, her and her Persian lamb coat into the acid bath. He then returned to the hotel. Multiple guests noticed that Olive was missing in the following morning. So this happened on a Friday. They noticed her missing on Saturday. When Hay was asked if, she knew, if he knew anything about 
Olive's whereabouts. He said that she was supposed to meet him at the workshop, but she never showed. So two days later on the Sunday, uh, Olive's friend, Constant Lane, reported her missing. So Olive was killed on Friday. People noticed her missing on Saturday. She was reported on Sunday. On Monday, though, Hay went to the workshop and emptied sludge from the tank onto the ground outside of the workshop. Then he went to Horsham and had the jewelry valued, and by the time he returned, the police were waiting for him. He told them the story again, where Olive was supposed to come for a meeting, but never showed. Thursday came along, and the police questioned people at the hotel again, so almost a whole week has passed. And Hay gave the same story, and maybe added a few details. Authorities, while looking into the missing woman, found a record of theft and fraud for Hay, and then they were, began to search his workshop. So on February 26th, detectives reported finding a rubber apron, a gas mask, empty carboys, and a recently fired 38 caliber Enfield revolver, and the dry cleaning receipt for a black Persian lamb coat. Rat Row. Rat Row is right. So at 4.15 p.m. on February 28th, 1949, Detective Albert Webb took Hay to Chelsea Police Station. They questioned him, and later he confessed, I've destroyed her with acid. You'll find the sludge that remains on Leopold Road. Every trace is gone. How can you prove a murder if there's no body? He also later confessed to the murders of the three McSwans and the two Hendersons, claiming that he killed them all so that he could drink their blood. He really killed them for money, though. That, and how are you going to drink their blood if you stuck them in acid? I don't know. He's, in, he's crazy. Yucky. Anyway, uh, I think he just said that's why he killed them. Oh, just like a wild card? Like, huh, like honey, uh, where are you going to go? You killed them. You're going to go down for murder no matter what the cause was. Yeah, you've, you've admitted it. Uh, anyway, though, March 1st, a pathologist, Keith Simpson... Or Dr. Keith Simpson. Can't forget that doctor. Oh, doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Examined the workshop and found bloodstains on the wall and a hairpin at the bottom of a 45-gallon drum. He even looked through the sludge in the yard and found the gallstone. Residue was collected and examined, and he found a total of 28 pounds of fat, human fat, 18 human bone fragments, a part of a foot, two more gallstones, the handle for a plastic red bag, a lipstick container, and a full set of dentures. And those dentures were used to tie olive to hay. On March 2nd, George, uh, John George Hay was charged with murder and moved to Lewis Prison. In April, Hay was examined by multiple doctors and psychologists due to the claim that Hay wanted to drink the blood of his first victims. Doctors claimed that this was a compulsion that stemmed from a sexual deviation, and Hay showed no signs of the dis- of any kind of disorders. This, uh, many psychologists agreed that Hay suffered from mental health issues, but he was not insane, so he's fully aware of his murders. One psychiatrist uh, believes that he shared a similar mental disease as Hitler. They believe that his paranoid uh, personality was from his parents' suffocating upbringing, and Hay had tried to impress the psychiatrist with his abnormal dreams where he portrayed himself as a lunatic, but he was known for having a talent of deception. His trial began on July 18, 1949, and ended on the 19th, where he was found guilty by jury within 17 minutes. So they were released to go, like, 
get their verdict on the 19th and they were like yeah 19 uh 17 minutes in they were like he's guilty yeah so hay was known as the acid bath murderer although one source did call him a vampire he was hung at wade's worth on august 10th 1949 and that's where he went down for the murders, and he has the serial killer count of six bodies. Well, damn. Yeah, that's what I got. I mainly, uh, my sources for this were Murderpedia, Wikipedia, AllThat'sInteresting.com, CrimeAndInvestigation.co.uk, and TrueCrimeEdition.com. So if anyone wants to check some of the sources, they can. I didn't look more on Murderpedia. It's a, it's a crazy set. Actually, I'm, honestly, Murderpedia didn't give me as many details as some of the other articles, but it gave me, like, a brief, like, psh, here's the thing. Yeah, it gave me the, the starting point to go look up more stuff. Yep. Huh. It also made me want to read more, do more puzzles, but I'm st- always stuck with these puzzles when I get to the crosswords because I'm like, well, I can't just figure these things out with my brain. I got to actually look these up. Yeah, do a little Which research. Which the purpose of a crossword. You're not supposed to look the answers up. I feel like the more crosswords you do, the more you get used to knowing random bits of information. It's like like trivia. The more you play trivia, the more random information you have. That's true. I guess I just don't have enough murder history uh, trivia in my head. I have little tidbits that are all locked away behind various different doors. And then it takes like a random memory to be like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Like there's plenty of murderers I've heard of. Which is... uh, Take that at what you will, but, like, I've heard of them. <laughs> Doesn't mean I know, like, the nitty-gritty details of, like, oh, what they last eat? Yeah. What did they say in trial? Like, things like that, unless I've actually researched them. Or, like, there's, like... Even if I have, as soon as it's done, it's yeah. gone. It's like taking a test. Once I get the grade, <laughs> everything's gone. No, it's like uh, with the documentaries on, like, Ted Bundy and all those people. Yeah. Like, without those things, there would be things about them I don't know. Like one um is Ted Bundy is the is he the one that everyone apparently thought he was conventionally attractive for the time? Yeah. Yeah. Which you look at pictures of him and you're just like, what were they smoking back then? Where is Because I don't see I don't it. see the attraction. No. I'm like you're like the stereotypical don't want to touch you kind of jock boy. I guess back in the day that was as good as they got. Maybe. I don't know. I'm more for the tattooed boys nowadays. Mm. Throw them on a bike. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. anyway. Back to, <laughs> <laughs> <Back> to Earth. <laughs> oh, we're on Earth. I don't want to be here. Unfortunately. So in our new setup, we've decided to start doing two-sentence horror stories at the end of our stories for the week. Uh, what do you got for us this week? Uh, let's see. How about... As I play hide-and-seek with my little cousin, I tell her how I used to love playing this with my sister. She asked... What sister? I like that one, but it's also curious. Like, did you murder your sister? Is your sister a ghost or an imaginary friend? That's the point. (laughs) Either way, it just makes it seem like, well, yeah, I love playing this with my sister, but clearly this little cousin came after that person existed, and they're just like, who are you talking about? Yeah. And then you see the murderous glint in their eye. I think when I came up with it, it was, I was thinking more along the lines of, like, she was playing hide-and-seek and, like, forgot about her sister one day. And so she just died. Oh, the baby woke up. Perfect timing. Time to go. Bye, guys. <laughs> Come here, baby. I just saw her walk out. <laughs> you want to help me say goodbye? Goodbye. 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 Mm.
Can you tell them to check out our Instagram? Graham? She doesn't know what Instagram is. But yeah, anyway, uh, we'll wrap this up so we can all get back to our daily lives. And if you want to get some updates, make sure to follow us on Instagram because that's probably the best source right now to check out. As I get an evil glare from a child on the computer. Somebody's banging around upstairs. Oh, okay. So yeah, check out Instagram. Follow us. We'll be updating soon. And what are you going to be bringing us next episode? I think I'm going to stick with the folklore. One of the books that I read recently had a story about a basilisk and a phoenix and how they were like polar opposites, but they couldn't exist without one another. Mm. So I'm curious if there's any merit to that story. That and if not, a... more folklore. So we're going, we're going that route. All right. Well, we will see you all later. Bye-bye. Have fun. Bye. Bye.